Hello, this is Father John Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our third program on the theology of the body, male and female, he created them, teaching of Pope John Paul II over the five years, 1979 to 1984, in his Wednesday audiences. In reference to Christ's words on the subject of marriage, in which he appeals to the beginning, we turned our attention one week ago to the first account of the creation of man in Genesis 1. Today we will go on to the second account, often defined as Yahwist, because in it God is often called Yahweh. The second account of the creation of man, linked with the presentation of original innocence, original happiness, and the first fall, has by its nature a different character. Although we do not want to anticipate the details of this narrative, because we will have to recall them in later analyses, we must observe that the whole text in formulating the truth about man strikes us with its typical depth different from the first chapter of Genesis. One can say that this depth is above all subjective in nature and thus in some way psychological. Chapter 2 of Genesis constitutes in some way the oldest description and record of man's self-understanding, and together with chapter 3, it is the first witness of human consciousness. By means of deeper reflection on this text, through all the archaic form of the narrative, manifesting its early mythical character, we find there in Nuculo almost all the elements of the analysis of man to which modern and above all contemporary philosophical anthropology is sensitive. One could say that Genesis 2 presents the creation of man especially in the aspect of his subjectivity. When we compare the two accounts, we reach the conviction that this subjectivity corresponds to the objective reality of man created in the image of God. And also, this fact is in another way important for the theology of the body, as we shall see in the following analyses. It is significant that in his response to the Pharisees, in which he appeals to the beginning the Christ indicates in the first place the creation of man with reference to Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. From the beginning the Creator created them male and female. It is only after this that he quotes the text of Genesis 2 verse 24. The words that directly describe the unity and indissolubility of marriage are found in the immediate context of the second creation account, the characteristic feature of which is the separate creation of woman. See Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. While the account of the creation of the first man, male, 
is found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. The Bible calls this first human being man, Adam, while from the moment of the creation of the first woman, it begins to call him male, Is, in relation to Isha, woman, because she has been taken from the male, Is. And it is also significant that when he appeals to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, Christ not only links the beginning with the mystery of creation, but also leads us to the boundary, so to speak, between man's primeval innocence and original sin. The second description of the creation of man in Genesis is situated precisely in this context. There we read, first of all, with the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he formed a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This time she is flesh from my flesh and bone from my bones. She will be called woman, because from man she has been taken. Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and unite with his wife, and the two will be one flesh. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Now both were naked, the man and his wife, but they did not feel shame. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Then, immediately after these verses, Genesis 3 begins the account of the first fall of man and woman, linked with the mysterious tree that before this had already been called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. A completely new situation thereby emerges, essentially different from the one before it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a boundary line between the two original situations about which Genesis speaks. The first situation is that of original innocence, in which man, male and female, finds himself, as it were, outside of the knowledge of good and evil, until the moment in which he transgresses the Creator's prohibition and eats the fruit of the tree of knowledge. The second situation, by contrast, is that in which man, after having transgressed the Creator's command at the suggestion of the evil spirit, symbolized by the serpent, finds himself in some way within the knowledge of good and evil. This second situation determines the state of human sinfulness, contrasting with the state of primeval innocence. Although the Yahwist text as a whole is very concise, it is sufficient for distinguishing and contrasting these two original situations. We are speaking of situations here, having before our eyes an account that is a description of events. Nevertheless, through this description and all its particulars, the essential difference between the state of man's sinfulness and that of his original innocence becomes clear. In these two antithetical situations, systematic theology was to see two different states of human nature, status naturae integrae, state of integral nature, 
and status nature lapse, state of fallen nature. All of this emerges from the Yahwist text of Genesis 2 and 3, which contains in itself the most ancient word of revelation and evidently has a fundamental significance for the theology of man and the theology of the body. So the Holy Father ends his third catechesis on male and female, he created them, the theology of the body. He cites in this presentation the first three chapters of Genesis, focusing on the second chapter most of the time. He'd already treated the first creation account. Today he focuses on the second account, where Eve comes from the rib of Adam, from his side. We learn of the Yahwist, the so-called human author of the sacred text according to the historical critical scholarship, so identified because the term for God is Yahweh in these passages of sacred scripture. This is different from the Eloist, who refers to God as Elohim. The second account of creation complements the first and is said to be the older of the two. This is determined through historical critical scholarship of the sacred text, whose primary author is Almighty God himself. There are two situations which our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, focused on in this catechesis. The first was our original innocence, the primordial innocence, the integral state of nature. The other is the first fall, the state of human sinfulness, original sin, status nature lapsi, the lapsed state of nature. God made us well. God did not make junk. God does not make junk, garbage. Sin is garbage. That's what we make, and that's what we repent. This is why Christ the Lord came, to save us from ourselves, to restore us not to original innocence or justice, but so that we might become adopted sons and daughters of God Most High, brothers and sisters not only to ourselves, but to Christ most importantly. He is the new Adam from whose side Mother Church is born, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, the tree of his cross, not only the tree of life, but the tree of knowledge, since upon it hung him who teaches us about God and about ourselves. Our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, highlights that we are presented in these first three chapters of Genesis the truth about man, the truth about ourselves, made in the image of God, created that way, objectively so. This is not a fairy tale. The Holy Father does refer to myth, but not in the irrational or fairy tale sense, but in the sense better of telling a great truth in a great way. The truth about ourselves and about our nature, knowing all the while that there have been those throughout history who have denied truth, who have denied human nature. But as the vicar of Christ, as the successor of St. Peter, the Holy Father stood up for truth, who is Christ. 
he stood up for us, made in God's image, made to know the truth which sets us free, objectively so. And this we proclaim to you today. Our human nature is such that we are both body and soul, composite beings. We are conscious creatures. Our human understanding, the ability to know and to understand, to understand things around us and even to understand ourselves, not to be schizophrenic, but to be sound psychologically, to understand our desires, our fears, our hopes, our dreams. This is all part of our makeup, the way the good God made us. It's true, we now live in that second status or second situation. We live after the fall, and original sin has its consequences, suffering and death, ignorance, and a tendency to do evil, not only with our bodies, but even spiritual evil. The Holy Father, in his 133 presentations of the theology of the body, male and female, he created them, is presenting to the world a philosophical anthropology. Philosophical insofar as it is a view of wisdom, seeking the truth about the human person. That's the anthropological part, the human person. What does it mean to be anthropos? In whose image is the anthropos made? Even before the incarnation, even before God became like us in all things but sin, in Christ, we were still in the image of God by our ability to know and our ability to love. God is all-knowing. God is love. These are some of the deep truths which our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, was presenting in his various talks on the theology of the body. He used this phrase, theology of the body, twice in today's third catechesis. Theology is the science of God. Theos means God. Theology is the science part. So the theology of the body, what can the body disclose to us about the God in whose image we're made? Jesus Christ teaches us not only the truth about God. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The Father and I are one. We will send the Spirit but he also teaches us the truth about ourselves, the truth about our nature, what it means to be a human being. Since he conformed to the Father's eternal will, in his own human will, in this way, he shows us the way, which is another name for himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life, the Lord assures us in sacred scripture. In these various presentations of the theology of the body, Pope John Paul II gives very detailed and clear analyses. He studies the passages of sacred scripture, those first three chapters of Genesis, focusing today on the second story of creation. Part of these analyses include reference to 
subjectivity and objectivity. Adam, a subject. Eve, a subject. Pope John Paul II, another subject. I, who am speaking, another subject. You, who are listening, another subject. So many subjects. Objectively so, each of us actually have our being. Each of us distinct being. These things are certain, are sure, are verifiable. It is in this sense that the Holy Father is using objective here. In this way, he draws us close to the mysterious tree of knowledge, which has been redeemed by the tree of the cross, upon which wisdom incarnate hung for our salvation, that we might know the good God for who he is, in whose image we are made, that we might know the truth about ourselves, which sets us free. Our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, he refers us back to the beginning, to the first three chapters of Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth and all that is therein, male and female, he created them as a communion of persons, a communion which was ruptured, our ruptured communion between ourselves, within ourselves, and with the good God who made us, who made us to be good. One part of this good creation is holy marriage. And our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, gives a heads up or, or throws up the balloon that a future sighting may be seen. Regarding holy marriage, in this catechesis, we are reminded that the unity and indissolubility of marriage are found in the immediate context of the second creation account, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The whole series, male and female, he created them, the theology of the body, is used as a meditation on holy marriage. In point of fact, the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, established the Pontifical John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family Studies, using this text, using the sacred scripture primarily, searching the truths of faith regarding that one aspect of interpersonal communion, that original communion of persons, which is holy marriage, that one blessing not destroyed or forsaken by the flood, that union which symbolizes the union between Christ and his bride, the church, unity and indissolubility, unity to be together, think of the many strands in a cord, together they're stronger, divided, apart, they're weaker, indissolubility may not be dissolved, till death do us part. Those are the vows of holy marriage. When you make soup using a bouillon cube, soup stock, the cube dissolves in the water. Marriage does not dissolve. If you are upset in your stomach and you take Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, that dissolves. But holy marriage does not dissolve. Indissolubility this is a $5 word, for lack of a better expression, on the unity, on that reality which is holy marriage. One man and one woman for life. For life, not only in the here and now, but leading to the life on high with Christ, bridegroom of 
Mother Church. This is part of the objective reality of our faith. This is part of the theological and philosophical anthropology which our Holy Father Pope John Paul II was so anxious to present, so much so that he spent a good five years of his papal ministry doing just that. He analyzed the sacred scripture. He sought the sure and certain teaching of Mother Church, even as he improved upon it, please God, with the help of God. The more and more we are able to recognize the truth of the sacred scripture, the truth of our faith, then the better we will understand ourselves, what it means to be a human being created for communion. How important for us to ponder these things, and then having pondered them, to put them into practice. When was the last time we gave thanks to God for our parents? When was the last time we encouraged another to be faithful in holy marriage? When was the last time we sought to know each other deeper? So often intimacy has been truncated in our day and age to genital activity, which is a great part of marriage, no doubt. However, to share the depths of joys and the depths of sorrows, the depths of hopes and the depths of fears, these sorts of exchanges are no less a part of intimacy than the nuptial embrace. Our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, he has shared his hopes for us, with us. He has shared his fears for us, with us. He shares his joys with us, as he shares his very self with us in the sacred scripture we read and in the holy food we receive from his altar, which is itself the fruit of the cross, which is both the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. For upon the tree of the cross, life was put to death, that we might live and move and have our being in him, who is bridegroom of Mother Church. All of the scriptures speak to us of Christ. And since they speak to us of Christ, they speak to us of ourselves, for he is our Redeemer. This was the plan of the Father from the beginning. Mysterious as it is, there are several people cited in Professor Waldstein's edition of the Theology of the Body who treat myth. Nine different references Joseph Campbell not being among them, but some big names, Wundt, Levibrul, Walk, Jung, Otto, Iliade, Tillich, Schiller, Ricor. These great thinkers, while they differ amongst themselves, remind us that just because the phrase or the word myth is used, is not to imply a fairy tale. The sacred scriptures were not written to tell us how the heavens go, but how to go to heaven. When we read the creation accounts, the older of the two, the second one, which Pope John Paul II focused on today, or 
the newer one, when both are formed from the clay, either way, and both together, we are reminded that we are not our own originators, that our being is contingent, that we are second, but we are made for God, and we are made according to the divine image. We are made for communion with one another and with God. These are profound truths revealed to us in the sacred text. This is mythology writ large. The scripture is not a fairy tale. The scripture is the word of God. And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And we have seen his glory. Myths are here to help us understand mysteries. Mysteries of existence, of our very being. When Pope John Paul II uses the phrase original innocence or original happiness, it reminds us that in the beginning... God had given us these things. We were innocent. We were without sin. Innocence, naked without shame. Original happiness. No sadness in us. Sadness came to us through our sin, through the fall, through our rebellion. But if we would want to again be innocent or again be happy, we should seek our Creator, in whose image we are made, who made us innocent and happy both, who, by our repentance and His great mercy, restores us to innocence lost, not only by Adam's sin, but by our own as well, who promises us lasting, enduring happiness on high, with Christ and all the saints, if we live lives which correspond to his holy will. These things are possible. These things are sure and certain according to our faith, which is founded on the rock who is Christ. Christ who is one with the Father and the Spirit, who can neither deceive nor be deceived. We have now come to the end of our third catechesis on the theology of the body with Pope John Paul II's male and female he created them together with the Pope we have approached Genesis the first three chapters especially we've heard the first and second accounts of creation we focused on what is meant by in the beginning, in our origins. God was there in the beginning, and God has never left his creation. My prayer is that we are all faithful to our creator God, who has made us in his own divine image, who has made us to live in communion not only with ourselves but with others and ultimately with himself. Our next catechesis will conclude the first part of chapter 1 of Pope John Paul II's 
theology of the body, male and female, he created them. And a turn will be made looking to St. Paul's letter to the Romans and the perspective of the redemption of the body. The theology of the body must include the redemption for Christ assumed a body born of the Virgin Mary like us in all things but sin to save us from our sins. Until next time, may Almighty God bless you